is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vongani. Thank you so much for joining us today. Africa's space sector is steadily expanding with over 20 countries establishing national space initiatives and plans to launch more than 100 additional satellites by 2025. But even with this kind of interest and investment, many say that the continent is falling behind the space race. Africa needs to be in space. It's, there's no choice, in my view. Being behind in that area uh, costs African nations quite a lot. That is Dr. Brooke Lackew, an Ethiopian-American space scientist. Dr. Lackew is an associate director for planning and R&D, Solar System Exploration Division at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, which is considered the largest Earth and space science research organization in the world. He joins us on the show to talk about the need for Africa to step up its game in space. I'm mostly seeing about like life challenges, sometimes just good vibes for people to dance and have fun. And Gomez Oba is a Cameroonian artist on a mission to bridge the divide in his country through his music. But first, let's hear from you, our listeners. We asked you, are leaders born or are they made? This is what you had to say. Well, let me say that uh, I believe personally that uh, leadership is something that uh, one is born with. So, yes, I would say that uh, we can learn uh, to be a leader in class, but at the same time, I would say that uh, you don't necessarily need to sit uh, in a classroom and to learn how to become a leader. However, it is uh, somehow important for one to also uh, have an access to uh, lessons on leadership. We are not supposed to be taught on how uh, to be a good leader, but we are supposed to learn. Okay, if someone wants to be a good leader, he or she is supposed to learn maybe from other people, from other leaders, from their role models. Many thanks to all of you for sending in your opinions. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vongani. Studies show that Africa's space sector is steadily expanding with over 20 countries establishing national space initiatives and plans to launch more than 100 additional satellites in the sky by 2025. Earlier this year, the African Union's Space Agency, that's an agency created to oversee space-related activities on the continent, was formally inaugurated in Egypt's capital, Cairo. The goal is to foster the growth of an African space market and industry, plus the exploitation of space resources. But even with this kind of developments, many believe that Africa is still lagging behind in the space race and should do more to catch up with their developed counterparts. Ethiopian-American space scientist Dr. Brooke Lackew is the Associate Director for Planning and R&D at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. This is considered the largest Earth and space science research organization in the world. He tells me that even though space exploration requires a lot of resources, it is necessary if African governments are to become less reliant on foreign technology and to take control of their own environmental and national security. Dr. Brooke you thank you so much for joining us today. How does one become a space scientist? Where did you start? Tell us a little bit about your story. Well, my, my story is a little different um, because when I talk to my, uh, some of them, my colleagues and their path to, to uh, space science, 
it's kind of straight line. You know, they went to high school, they knew what they were going to be doing, they, then they went to college and did the PhD in you know, astronomy, astrophysics, or astrochemistry, and so on and so forth. Yeah. In my case, uh, you know, I was born in Ethiopia, I went to a French school, uh, local. Uh, my tuition was uh, five Ethiopian birr. Can you imagine? It's a few, yeah. few cents I per know. month. You know? <laughs> now, now it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of money. But, skyrocketed. Um, yeah, yeah skyrocketed. Mm. And so uh, when I finished high school there, the French government gave me a scholarship to go and study in France. And so I went there and uh, I did um, phys physics and chemistry, double major in college. And then I did uh, physical chemistry uh, in, PH uh, in my PhD. For your master's and PhD? Yes, University of Paris. Yeah. And uh, at the time, the Ethiopian government was a military dictatorship. Uh, my parents, everybody said, don't come back. So like everybody else, I migrated to the United States. Mm. And during my uh, thesis work, my, during my PhD, I studied the surface physics of solids. And in space, the way you create a signal from a spacecraft uh, or, or whatever you're looking at is by getting radiation from it and then having a sensor that converts that radiation power, uh, radiating power into electricity. Mm. And that's a surface property. And that's, and, and that's how I, my, my training converged with what NASA needs. Ah, I needs. see. So it came at the time when, I guess, science had evolved to that level of understanding of this very specific thing. Yes, exactly. Specifically a mission called the Cosmic Background Explorer. And it was uh, launched in 1989. And it was looking for the very early stage of the universe, yeah. the Big Bang. And the lead scientist got a Nobel Prize in 2006 for the work on, of, of that mission. Yes, I, I think I remember and that. So yeah, then, you know, I got involved milestone. in that. And because it was looking at the very early universe, the very cold, mm. way, way back, the Big Bang. The Big Bang theory. The Big Bang theory. Yeah. So uh, it, it avoided looking at the sun because the sun is very hot and you're looking, f you have extremely sensitive sensors on board. So the, the spacecraft, instead of being an equatorial orbit around the Earth, mm. it was polar and looking away from the sun. And when it does that, at the north and south, the Earth's magnetic field traps a lot of uh, radiation yeah. from the sun, protons, electrons, that bombarded the spacecraft. And my, uh, the request that I had, the assignment that I was given, is study, to study what the, that radiation does to the sensors of the spacecraft. Mm. So Was it disrupting the sensors? Yes, is that absolutely. What? Yes. Okay. So, so you came up with a solution? Yes, exactly. So, I, uh, so I, you joined NASA around what, 1999? No, no, mm. much, much earlier, uh, 1984. 84, oh wow, that's much but, earlier. Uh, at the time, I was not a you know, federal scientist employee. I was employed through a contract. Okay. And, and, and the, the, but still working with NASA? Absolutely, okay. the whole time. Okay. And so you saw the space technology evolving from, you know, 1984 really, is, is quite, uh, you know, at the early stages of it. <laughs> Some of our instruments, uh, like the second mission I was involved in that sent a spacecraft to, to Saturn, the instrument was uh, 42 kilograms. Now nobody would send uh, that heavy an instrument. Yes, it's too heavy. Uh, it's yeah. too heavy. Yeah. And because of the advent of uh, miniaturization, the, all the sensors and the electronics, the optics, everything is very, very small. I'm glad that you brought that up. I've heard that uh, the early space uh, explorers, I guess the guys who went to the moon, mm -hmm. the first people, they use, the technology they use is the same technology that we use in our phones. 
Well, this is the phone is much more powerful <laughs> right uh, now. The, the processor, <laughs> the memory, yeah. a lot of stuff they were actually doing manually, to c computing the angle from the star that they used as reference. Yeah, it was an extremely high risk uh, um, mission, mission, and yeah. it, it worked. But now it's automatically done for you through computers. Well, I think and, that and, changed a lot. And so the, one of the contributions of NASA is that it requires all the time um, miniaturizing everything, making it smaller and smaller, and industry followed. And so in the end, you have these kinds of things that are... That are being used in consumer products Exactly, like benefiting uh, humanity right. in, in many ways. What kind of data have we collected so far uh, in, in our research that gives us a better understanding of our own planet here on Earth? Okay, so there are four major science uh, areas of research in space. Uh, one of them is Earth science, studying our own Earth. The, our, our Earth is constantly changing. You know, it's, there is uh, 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 life that changes the, even the surface of it. It, it. We've lost the history of how the Earth evolved to come to it now because of constant change. Rain, forest, mm. fire, all kinds of things. Water, life makes it that it's very difficult to find the, the past. Whereas, um, uh, and so we need to monitor what's going on including the climate change that we're bringing now. Mm -hmm. It's evident now that it's happening. So that's Earth science. The other one is uh, astrophysics, looking at the, hu the universe as a whole, all the big galaxies, the clusters of galaxies, the, uh, the enormous uh, you know, uh, width of the universe as it, as, as it is now, and it's expanding significantly every second. The galaxies are going away from each other at very high velocity. Okay. You know, thousands of miles per second. Moving away from moving each other. Moving away. Mm. And so the big question is whether it's, it's, it's going to come back because of gravity will pull it back, or it, will it expand forever and cool down and kind of die? There is a lot of data captured from all these satellites that are in space looking at all the different in the Earth or the planets or the universe or the, the Sun-Earth connection. Okay. And so there's data. And we're able to learn, to synthesize that and exactly. learn something exactly. about so, ourselves. So there's a lot of scientists at NASA and also in, in academia, in the universities, who are looking at this data. It's available to everyone. The, the public paid for it. Mm. So after a mission is sent and it gets the data, we what we do is calibrate it, make sure that the data is, is reliable, and then make it available to the to the science. To public research institutions exactly. that will... Uh, and, and even, you know, worldwide. You know, okay. The African scientists will, will also have access. Okay, let's, let's talk about a little bit about the future. What does the future of uh, space exploration look like? We've seen many people attempting to go to Mars, to other planets. Are we looking at uh, colonies on any of these planets right. in the... So, at least in our lifetime. Uh, in our lifetime, what we will probably see is a colony on the moon. Um, the four astronauts that are going to be going to the moon in the, in the next year or so I just got selected last March. Uh, one African-American, one woman, and two other uh, uh, astronauts, one from Canada, were selected. Um, so what they're going to do is go to the moon, um, uh, uh, orbit around the moon, and, and come back without actually landing just to make sure that the whole system works well. Mm. And then the next, uh, next phase is going to be astronauts going to land on the moon. And specifically, not near the equator where the previous landers did, 
go to the south pole of the moon because the south pole has a lot of very deep craters mm. that are completely dark all the time and it looks like there's water ice there if there is a water ice then we can stay there for a much longer time and have a moon base and then uh, the idea is potentially to um, go to mars from the moon because the, the moon is much much Close. smaller in size yeah. a quarter the size of the earth so it's much easier to take off from but yeah. so in the very near future it's landing on the moon and having um, a base there where we learn to live uh, outside earth for a long time mm. and it's kind of a training ground to go to mars this is up front on the voice of america i'm jackson vunganyi we're still speaking to ethiopian american space scientist dr brook lakyu now a question that many people ask i think is part of a wider debate of the us and other developing countries spend billions of dollars for space exploration and they're asking is there justification to spend that much resources to go to the moon and other other places in in space when there's a lot of suffering there's so much need for for the resources here on earth What, what what is your take on yeah. that? Yeah. Um I I've I've thought about this issue. Um it, it Africa needs to be in space. There's there's no it's it's not um uh it's there's no choice mm. in my view. Um being behind uh in that area uh costs African nations quite a lot. For instance, for communication for telephone for education remote education to their provinces and stuff they pay hundreds of millions of dollars rent to get the bandwidth from private satellites and so on and so forth even you know if you look at that it be enormous saving if they had their own communication satellite and also now with the miniaturization that i mentioned you have uh, cube sats they're like uh, 10 cm cube mm. and that's one u one unit You can have a, a 6U where you can have quite a few things and that you can is, launch. Is that what we hear when we uh, for example like Uganda sent a, a, a satellite to space recently and, oh, Kenya. and Kenya Kenya did one. Yes. Yeah, actually what's different about the Kenyan uh, satellite it was uh, built by engineers from a private company in Kenya. That's a departure from I mean, the private sector the, the private investment sector. in exactly. space in Africa and is then, happening and was launched by SpaceX. Yeah. And so uh there is that's very early stage but it should be encouraged i think um Af- africa is wasting quite a bit of resources in, in through internal wars and stuff you know mm. I'm, i'm not saying it's only in africa because wars happen around the world as we know now but uh leaders should make it every effort possible to avoid these things and focus on what's important for the future it, it's being present in space is is controlling your own financial transactions or controlling um how you grow crops from space you can map you can see where mo- moisture is low or high and so on and so forth it's even important for national security so it's it's not a choice you have to be there and and to do so i think regional uh <clears throat> cooperation yes. like kenya has mm. Uh, on San Marco Island, uh, a launch pad that Italians use. It's near the equator. As you know, when you launch from the equator, it's you get the the the, the Earth uh, rotates faster at the equator, so you get all that um, uh, uh, velocity attached to it. And so, you know, the launch could be in in Kenya. The the satellite could be assembled in Uganda. Um, the 
some of the electronics could be done in Ethiopia and so on. And, 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 and research just, happens it, some other places. It's, it's safe. And the yes, absolutely. It's not, so it's not prohibitively difficult. Anymore. Right. I mean, prohibitive in terms of resources could be, but when you pull resources, I guess. Absolutely. But is Africa falling behind the space race at this point? Is that something that worries you? It worries me, yes. Uh, Nigeria has, has done several iterations of space launch. For instance, they, they hired an English company uh, that did their first satellite. They had their engineers go in England to, to work, but now they're gradually moving the control center in Nigeria and, and then doing some of the work in their own. So. There's a lot of not highly organized uh, Africa-wise, but every uh, these countries are trying. In case you're just joining us, this is Upfront on the Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vongani. We are speaking to Dr. Brooke Lakiu, an Ethiopian-American space scientist, about the need for Africa to invest more in the space sector. Is uh, space exploration the only way to ensure survival of the human species? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> well, um, uh, I do, think, do we have to do this for, uh, for our own survival? Well, I think for, um, for, near, for the near future, we're stuck here on this planet. Yeah. Because if you look at Mars, which is really a close cousin to Earth, the atmosphere is pretty much gone. There's very little atmosphere, and that's carbon dioxide. So one would have to release a lot of oxygen from the rocks. Warm up the, the rocks uh, and release uh, it to... Chemically yeah. remove and then create, reform the atmosphere that was there before. We have to take care of our own planet first. Okay. I think really make some drastic policy changes to make sure that uh, climate change... As a person who is privy to this information, are there any objects in the solar system that we should be worried about here on Earth? Uh, well, well, aside from asteroids, like, uh, well, they're just <laughs> asteroids and comets, mostly. Uh, but uh, so far, there, there's no, uh, to my knowledge, any there's alien uh, space. <laughs> I wasn't actually talking about but, aliens. But, you know, God forbid, yeah. if, if they find us first, it means they are much more advanced. Advanced and an, an advanced civilization encountering a lower uh, civilization. In the, at least on Earth, it has been a disaster. We're about to be colonized. <laughs> now, what are some of the new discoveries that will change life as we know it? So far in, what, 2023, space exploration is relatively new to other technologies, I guess. What are some of the things that you say these are life-changing that are already making a difference here on Earth? Well, um, uh, first of all, this communication, satellite communication, uh, has made such that uh, you go to Africa, for instance, where there was no, in the past when I was a child, there was, you know, wires between telephones. And imagine where Africa would be if, if this new way of communication, communication we didn't have with it, a, yes. We didn't have it. I mean, you go so, in the rural areas, so everybody they would has have a cell phone lots now. and lots of people completely disconnected. Yeah. And now, you know, you go to Kenya, they have this app where you just pay with your phone. And it's all kinds of things are changed. In the medical field, uh, a lot of the uh, machines have been miniaturized because of, of uh, uh, use uh, in space for astronauts. Um, the one important instrument that's very important and it's being developed here you know, in Maryland in, at the Goddard Space Flight Center, is a mass spectrometer. It uh, allows you to take a sample and look at the, its components, organic and otherwise. And uh, it's used in the pharmaceutical industry here on Earth, but it's you know, huge machines. But 
as I, we were discussing earlier, we need smaller and smaller. And so there's one being developed to go to Titan, uh, one of the moons of Saturn, uh, on a mission called uh, Dragonfly. It'd be launched, uh, I think, 2029 or so. Mm. It's, it's under construction. It's, under construction it's going to be looking for organics uh, on the moon. And it's, uh, it's a drone, essentially. Mm. And it's going to land and then go to, from places to places and look for organics that are similar uh, to what we have here. And so because of the compression and miniaturization, maybe in, someday in the future we would have our own mass spectrometer and sniffing, right. uh, you know, breathing it and then tell you what your daily situation is, you know. So uh, all kinds of things. like Things that. are about to happen. Now, my final question to you, I guess, because we are running out of time, and I really want to thank you. I wanted to ask you, first of all, how does one become a space scientist? Advice for young Africans that might be watching you, you're being you know, inspired by you, okay. where do they start from? Okay, so I, I gave a talk at the University of Addis Ababa many years ago and uh, presented what we do at NASA and so on and so forth. And at the end of the, uh, my talk, in the back of the room, uh, one kid, you know, college student, raised his hand and he said, okay, well, what you said is really great, but what's in it for me? It was a good question, yeah. you know, what's in it for me? And um, what I uh, said was that uh, if you are doing basic research, um, physics, chemistry, and so on and so forth, it's more for academia. You're going to stay in the theory field and so on. But if you transition to applied sciences, then the, there's so much data from space that you can look at. And, and, you know, have a hypothesis and then, and then look at the data and then say this is the, what we're observing. There's so much avail stuff available. And one of the uh, students who was in the classroom later told me he changed his, his major right there. He wow. said, okay, applied science. And uh, do solar physics and so on. And he's working at NASA now. Wow. So uh, I think first and foremost is when you're in high school, Make sure you really uh, understand the, the the foundation of knowledge. Um, you know, physics, chemistry, math are very important. Of course, it depends on the teachers. They have to be formed better in Africa. But then um, after high school, major in one of the science uh, fields and computing, you know, uh, and, um, and then go to graduate school. That's very important. And then, as I said, there's earth science fields. There's a lot of... Uh, topics in earth science. There's a lot of topics in um, uh, planetary science looking for life, astrochemistry, astrobiology, lots of stuff. Mm. And um, get your PhD. And, and then you start uh, future, on your journey. the future is, is, is bright. That was Dr. Brooke Lacu. Dr. Lacu is the Associate Director for Planning and R&D Solar System Exploration Division at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. He joined me in studio here at The Voice of America. What's up, Africa? You are listening to Upfront on The Voice of America. Hello, Upfront. My name is Kazbo Prosper. I'm in Kampala City, the capital city of Uganda. I'm a border border rider in Kampala. I love listening to Upfront on Voice of America. Now, if you have been listening to music from Cameroon, you should be familiar with the name Gomez Oba. The young upcoming artist has been making waves in his country's music industry, 
And on his recent tour in the U.S., Gomez Oba passed by our studios to talk about the African music landscape and his mission to bridge the divide in his country through his music. Gomez Oba, thank you so much for joining my us. Pleasure, my pleasure. Yo, so how are you liking the U.S. so far? Yes, beautiful. Yeah. Chill. Nice, I'm so happy. So what, what are you doing? Are you here for yeah, promotion? Here. Are you on a tour? Yeah. I'm here for tour and promotion too. Okay. But basically I'm here to do like a tour. Around so, the US? Yeah. Now you, you have a, a big fan base here? Um, You're grow, a growing fan base. I have a growing fan base, yes. but I have like a big fan base too. So, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Uh, first of all, I mean, I like your drip. Thank Looking you. Good. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. So we'll talk to us cool. about your music. Um, what kind of music do you do? Afrobeat, Afro, because um, I have like a Nigerian background too. Yeah, so so it's mostly Afrobeat, mm. but mixed with a little bit of Makosa from Cameroon. <laughs> I mostly sing about like life challenges, sometimes just good vibes for people to dance and have fun. Mm. Um, like about, I, I love to appreciate the, the women. Mm. I love also the to, ladies. The ladies. Yes. I love also to like talk about like my struggle, where I'm from to inspire people. So you're from Cameroon, but where from, exactly in Cameroon are you from? I'm from the Southwest region of Cameroon. Yeah, where well, we have a lot going on. Yeah, tell us about that area. Right yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful region. We speak um, English. And you know Cameroon is like bilingual. Yes. But there's an English region of Cameroon. We have like cities like Boya, where, where I'm from, big mm. ups to Boya, Kumba, Bamenda. And we have what everybody knows is going on in Cameroon right now. My, my people are actually going through a lot and... So we're just like, I'm just happy that I'm using music somehow to like ease them, like for them to forget mm -hmm. a little bit and because they're really suffering. Right, so there's been a, a, a continuing yeah. conflict yeah. in Cameroon yeah. between uh, Francophone and Anglophone uh, and you're hoping that your music kind of it's, eases the tension. Yeah, it's, it's actually doing that and we pray and we hope like it should end. Like, yeah, we, we, we want to be happy. Absolutely. What do you think is the role of music in, in society, in, like a, in, in your area, for very, example? Very powerful. Music is very powerful. Music is very, like, music, mood. It changes moods, like, it could um, educate, you understand? Music also, like, well, music is like a safe heaven for a lot of people that are going through distress and in life in general. So... I believe music, music is um, music is so big, mm. like, so important. What role has say, social media played in your career? A lot, a lot. Like for example, my my lead single right now, my most popular single right now, "Woman," it was it was blown by TikTok, like by the social media. So I didn't really, I didn't really had to, to promote spend it. too much, yeah. but TikTok did that for me. It's like. A shortcut, and yeah. so everything he was talking about, yeah, like I myself, I'm very open to like learning. I think he he's filled with a lot of um, information that could help me, and I really, I really, bro, TikTok, TikTok, is <laughs> TikTok, big. TikTok has been a game changer for <laughs> yes, you. Yes, yes, yes. Um, how much of you, how much use is there in 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 Cameroon when it comes to internet and streaming? 
um, I could say like what we know, active users, we have about a million and a half or maybe two million. We don't have like active users. Yeah. I think those are the numbers, a million and a half, two million active users. So, like, what kind of changes would you like to see in the Cameroonian music industry? Man, I want, I want everybody to have the freedom to do the type of music they want to do because in my country, it's like the, there's a campaign going on of like, you understand? So I want people to be free to do music that they like, music that, um, that, that I mean like generally African music that we all know like the Afrobeat. You can do that in your own language, French or English, but I want Cameroonians to know that they should be focused more on like the music, not who or language. It should be the music. I like that. Yeah. Music that speaks to your experience. Yeah. And focusing on the song and yeah, the music and the message. Vibe. Instead of uh, focusing on, on the artist and, and where, where they you come from. Because I understand that. there's the political dimension to it, especially oh. when you come from a country where oh. there's bilingual. Type, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's difficult. And me, I can identify myself like a Nigerian full time because my Cameroonian people will lightly. You understand? Yeah. And I can't, I, like, <laughs> so I'm just there. So I'm a Cameroonian, I'm a Nigerian, I'm an African. That's me, I'm an African. I'm trying to do music for Africa. I need Africans to come to my shows. Tanzanians, South Africans, like everybody in Africa, not just Cameroonian or Nigerian. That was Cameroonian artist Gomez Oba. And with that, we come to the end of our show today. Many thanks to our guests and to you for tuning in, whether you tuned in on radio, on our FM stations, or online at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on our social media platforms. We are on Facebook and Instagram and on YouTube. Until next time, my name is Jackson Bungani. Goodbye, everyone.